You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Cain didn't need to be angry. Remember, he asked him the question, why are you angry? The problem wasn't from without. There weren't certain things that were going on outside of this whole issue. It was all about what was going on within his heart. The problem wasn't from without. He could change at that moment. Don't blame other people. Don't blame your circumstances. Why has your countenance fallen? Don't blame anyone else except yourself. You can correct it. Today, Pastor Mike teaches through the tragic story of Cain and Abel. And yet, there is so much we can learn from this ancient text. Pastor Mike shows that Cain had a choice. God, in His grace, conversed with Cain and explained that sin crouched in wait, seeking to subdue him. Cain could choose to defeat the sin or let the sin defeat him. Likewise, we all face the same choice. In Cain's case, he disregarded God's guidance and murdered his brother in anger. But we don't have to make the same mistake he did. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 4 as he continues his message, Beauty and Blood. Isn't Cain's fruit more beautiful, more attractive? The answer to that question, absolutely yes. And isn't God the author of all beauty? You know, this is their rhetoric. This is the way that they would approach this. And the truth of the matter is, yes, he is the author of all beauty. And didn't God make the fruit? Yes, he did make the fruit. But you see, Cain left out the blood. You see, the offering of Cain represents all the beautiful things of this world. And someone would say in response to that, well, can't we offer all of the beautiful things of this world? And the answer to that question is, yes, you can. But only if we have first come to him on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know? And then everything else would fall. Yeah, God is happy to have you fruit. But you got to first come through the blood. You have to first come through Jesus Christ. If Cain would have first presented an animal sacrifice, therefore confessing he is a sinner, that sin requires death, that he was thankful to God for having shown him a substitute could die in his place, and that he was coming on that basis and that basis alone, then offer his fruit as an extra offering, it would have been wonderfully accepted and received of the Lord. And God would have been well pleased. But 
when he refused to come with the blood offering, God was obligated to reject both Cain and anything that Cain might offer. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. This is exactly the problem with so many good religious people today. They come and they want to be received and accepted by God because of their beautiful offerings. Basically, they want to come on their own terms, you see. They don't want to come through Christ. For them, that's too costly. They would rather go another route. So they attempt to approach God, to be received of God, to be accepted by God by their works. And listen, I'm not putting down works. But that's not going to get the job done. Or they seek to approach God through their giving of their finances and their money. And believe me, I'm not putting down the works and the money. We need the money. We need your money, by the way, just to pay our bills. Or great talking, that is making promises. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And and because I've made these promises, I've sworn a vow, you know, these are the things that lend itself to me being accepted of God. Or some kind of social contribution, some pomp and circumstance, whatever. But there's no blood. And folks, if there's no blood, there's no Christ. There's no Christianity. And your sacrifices, your offerings are going to be rejected. As beautiful as their service might be, however, if one comes through Christ and has shed blood, all the beautiful things will be received of the Lord, that is, if we're not trusting in them for our salvation. They can be used and served as tokens of our love and our affection for Jesus, for God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. So don't misunderstand what I'm suggesting, but we must first come through the blood. Now, that brings us to our third point. This is probably the most important point. It's the last point as well. And that is fighting against God. Fighting against God. There's something significant here. Although the off, and that's, by the way, that's exactly what Cain was doing. Remember, he already possessed this knowledge and understanding. So, in essence, he was fighting against God, right? Now, there's something significant here. Although the offering of Cain was rejected, and I love this, God didn't just walk away from him. Didn't write him off, didn't blow him off. Say, okay, man, you want to go your own way? Forget you, your history. And I'll work with your brother Abel. And, you know, just forget you. But God didn't just walk away from him. He sought to reason with him. Isn't that amazing? You know, how many times have we found ourselves in that same situation where we've known better, but we've chosen to do our own thing? Not a God thing. We've disobeyed the Lord or whatever. And you would think it's at that point. And the devil will come and he'll whisper in your ear, you know, forget you. You know, God isn't going to accept you. Or you should have known better. You've crossed over the line now. There's no turning back. And only to find that God is seeking us. God is looking for us. God just didn't walk away from Cain. And by the way, let me also throw this into the mix. God knew what Cain was about to do in killing his brother Abel. And still, in spite of that, he sought Cain out. So don't ever buy into the lie of Satan telling you, you know, that you've gone so far, you've crossed over the line, there's no turning back, 
you can't come back, you know, kind of a thing. Because what he's seeking to do is just alienate you from God, to stick a wedge between you and him. So here, God is seeking to reason with him. So let me ask you this question. Are you fighting against God? And isn't it amazing? Christians can even fight against God. They have the wisdom. They have the knowledge. They know what God expects of them. They know how to approach him, all of that, the sacrifices required, everything. What Christianity is all about, the way that they're supposed to live their lives. They've been instructed in the word. He's an adult now. He's not a kid any longer. He had all of this knowledge, right? He actually conversed with God, literally conversed with God, heard an audible voice. I mean, talk about a privileged character. He had all of this information, all of this wisdom, all of this knowledge, and still he's walking away from God. How crazy is that, right? But still God sought him out. So it's possible for any of us for this to happen. If it happened to Cain, it could happen to the best of us if we just, you know, turn our backs upon God. So let me ask you this question, and please don't respond. Don't stand up. I don't want to know. This is just between you and the Lord. But are you fighting against God? Think about that. Are you fighting against God? And only you can really answer that question. Is there something going on? Yeah, you're here, but is there something that you're allowing to go on in your life and you're fighting against God? And you know you shouldn't be. There's something that you do and you know that you shouldn't be doing, right? We're talking about victory over the devil. And one of the points was the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of, of Satan. And one of the things that I tried to impress upon our group is get mad. Because the devil wants to rob you from receiving God's best. God is a plan. God wants to bless your life beyond your wildest imagination, beyond your wildest dreams, beyond measure. And he's doing everything that he could possibly do to rip you off of that blessing. Get angry, man. Get angry. See things as they really are. You know, that temptation and sin is providing a temporary fulfillment, and satisfaction. But in the long run, you're going to pay the consequences and the penalty. You can't get around it. The soul that sinned shall surely die. It'll affect your relationship with God. It'll an alien. God cannot be one with a person who continues in sin. I'm not suggesting a sinless perfection here. In that text of Scripture in John's epistle in 1 John, John wasn't suggesting that either. You have to look at it in context of the, the verb used in the Greek language. It's a continuing in sin. But if you continue in sin, it's not that you're never going to sin again after you've given your life to Christ. But if you continue in your sin, that alienates you from God. Because God is a holy, righteous, and just God. And God cannot be one with a person who continues in their sin. You know, who just says, you know, they claim to have taken the name of Christ and then just go on continuing in their sin. You see. So get mad. Get mad. Take this into consideration. The next time that your body is working together in concert with the devil, right, and he provides an opportunity and temptation, and you begin to gravitate in that direction towards that sin. In fact, some of us run headlong towards that sin. You know, please take into consideration. Stop for a moment as you stand at that crossroad. There's a penalty. That will be paid. You can be sure of that. For whatsoever man sows, that also shall he reap. If you're sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption of the same kind. You can't get around it. These are laws that govern the universe. Get mad. God has something so much better for you. Don't look for fulfillment and satisfaction in all of the wrong places. God wants your life to be full. 
He wants you to be satisfied. Jesus said that I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He wants every one of us to experience that. You're your worst enemy at times, you see. Don't buy into the lies of the devil. Okay, so let me ask you the question again. Are you fighting against God? Let's, let's pick up. Let's go back. Can we read verses 6 and 7 just one more time? So the Lord said to Cain, he didn't leave him alone. This is what I love about our God. This is the God that I know, right? And isn't it true? You know this by experience, right? You've blown it. You let your guard down. You didn't use the resources that you know you have available to you. You've blown it. And God doesn't leave you alone. He's the hound of heaven, right, as I often refer to him as. He's always there nipping at your heels, you know, trying to get your attention, trying to draw you back on the straight and the narrow. Always looking to help us to correct the wrongs, the sin in our lives. Well, anyway, in verses 6 and 7, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And by the way, this is one of the ways that you can gauge where a person is who claim to be a Christian in their Christian experience. Because why are you angry? And I'm sure that this isn't true in every Christian's case, but there's something different about the countenance of someone who says they are Christians and who aren't living the life, and then a Christian who claims to be a Christian and is living the life. There's a difference in their countenance the way that they carry themselves. There's a joy, there's a peace, right? All of those things are present within their lives. Sort of a way to gauge. I'm not suggesting that you gauge whether, you know, like let that occupation be left to God. We shouldn't look over each other's shoulders and that kind of a thing. Oh, he's a Christian, she's not a Christian. You know, that kind of thing. Don't play the compare game either, you know, as so many Christians do. Not everyone is where you are in your Christian experience. So we compare. We do the compare game kind of a thing. You know, well, I know I'm bad, but at least I'm not as bad as Julie is, you know, kind of a thing. (laughs) Anyway, and then verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, there are four things that I want to draw you to your attention, and then we're going to close out our message. The first of which is, God saw Cain in whatever state he was in, just as he sees you. You're playing Christian, you got dressed up really nice, you know, and you stand during the appropriate time, and you lift up your hands, and you worship in the Lord, and no one knows the difference between the real deal or the hypocrite, you know? But God knows. He sees. He sees exactly where we are in our experience with him. He saw Cain in whatever state he was in, just as he sees you and me. The second thing, Cain didn't need to be angry. Remember, he asked him the question, why are you angry? The problem wasn't from without. There weren't certain things that were going on outside of this whole issue. It was all about what was going on within his heart. The problem wasn't from without. He could change at that moment. Don't blame other people. Don't blame your circumstances. Why has your countenance fallen? Don't blame anyone else except yourself. You can correct it. So if you're all bummed out, 
you know? Don't have the assurance that you have the relationship that you want to have with the Lord, that you have God's hand of approval upon you and blessing in your life. You're not quite sure, right? You better, man, with all of the crazy variables of life, you know, all of the unforeseen things that are a part of our Christian, you better have God's you better have God's hand upon your life, right? So don't be all bummed out. Don't allow your countenance to fall. It's all a matter of you. What are you gonna do? You know what you're supposed to do. Just do the right thing. And that was the counsel that God had provided for Cain. And then thirdly, remember, there is a right course of action. And I'm so thankful that, you know, we place an emphasis on the study of God's word. And, you know, really, I mean, truly, we are a privileged group of people, week in and week out, studying the word of God, going through the full counsel of the word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We have like hundreds of translations of Bibles. You know, think about all of the advantages that we have that the first century church didn't have. And yet, in spite of that, how closely they lived together with the Lord, their sweet fellowship and communion that they had with the Lord. Think of all of the commentaries that have been written. Think about all of the people who have gone before us. Man, I have books all over my home, just all over the place. My, my wife is, you know, looking to get rid of me because I have so many books laying all around. They're everywhere, man. If you've been over my house, you know what I'm talking about. Right? So... The reminder, there's a right course of action. And God put it this way. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? That's it. Just do right. And then fourthly, well, the right had been made known to him, as we've already mentioned. He was rejected not for lack of knowledge, but lack of humility, lack of faith, a lack of obedience. And then lastly, fourthly, he was flirting with disaster. You see, the cause of his anger was sin, folks. Sin was about to master him. It was crouching at his door. Notice the phrase, desires to rule over you. Listen, be very careful about that. Sin is a hard taskmaster. It's crouching at your door right now. You're flirting around with sin? Hey, listen, you can't take fire to your bosom without getting burned. You'll pay. Make no mistake about that. And notice the effect, the power that sin has over an individual that is the individual who gives himself over to that sin. There's always an effect. Folks, sin is a hard taskmaster. It'll bring you down. So with all of what I've just said, how do we counteract this sort of thing? Well, simply by being mastered by the master. Being mastered by the master. Who am I referring to? Obviously, Jesus Christ, rather than being mastered by the devil. When he allowed himself to become mastered by the devil, where did that lead him? He became the first murderer. Notice in verse 8, it says, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And I don't know if there's any worse crime than the killing of another person. Right? Hey, listen, that's what's at stake here. You never know. I wonder, did Cain wake up that morning and think about, you know what, I think I'm going to kill my brother Abel today. Even as, you know, we get up any morning, 
and we think, you know what? I think I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing and absolutely destroy my relationship with God today. But you know what? It happens exactly like that, right? Who really gets up in the morning and thinks, I'm going to just totally, you know, throw my relationship with God in the trash and just forget it? Who wakes up like that in the morning? I don't think anyone really does. Sin desires to rule over you. It's crouching at your door. So anyway, this was premeditated. But notice Cain was not out of God's sight because in verse 9, as we've already read, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? His reply, notice there in verse 9, he says, I don't know. This, by the way, is the first lie recorded anywhere in the Bible, right? And then what makes this even worse than the lie, I don't know where my brother is, he asks a question. What was the question? The latter part of verse 9. Am I my brother's keeper? And what's the answer to that question? Yeah, you are your brother's keeper. Listen, gang, as we close this out, I want you to think about this. Here is the voice of modern man today. They lie, even as Cain lied to God. I don't know where my brother is. Indifference. That's what men and women are all about. They're indifferent. They are cruel. They are, if you think about it, they are walking in the way of Cain. By the way, that would have made another great title for this message, walking in the way of Cain. In fact, in the book of Jude, in verse 11, there's a reference to that, walking in the way of Cain, who has rejected the prescribed way of salvation. This is what that looks like. If someone ever brought that indictment against you, God forbid, hey, you're walking in the way of Cain, well, that would include rejecting the prescribed way of salvation, refusing to accept responsibility, right? Responsibility of your brother, the responsibility of your own state, you know, trying to pass the buck off to someone else or some other thing. You see, I am the way I am because I was raised in a dysfunctional family or, you know, whatever. Or I was born into poverty, so that's why I, I'm a thief, you know, kind of a thing. Or that's why I rob for my employer or, and not taking the responsibility for your own state. Indifferent towards others. These are all of the marks of someone who's gone in the way of Cain. Listen, gang. If God has spoken to you in any way, shape, or form, heed that warning. Turn back while there's still time. Remember, sin is crouching at your door and is looking to rule over you. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcast. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house. <laughs>